Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today, I am wrapping up my conversation with my Aunt Brenda, Brenda Young, with part three of our conversation to where we look back on some of her life lessons. If you missed the first two, go, what are you doing? Go check out parts one and part two of this conversation. And we're wrapping it up with part three. Now, if you're new to the podcast, this is an interesting episode to be your first episode, especially being part three of a three-part conversation. But what we're trying to do is create a safe place to have difficult conversations because we believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them 100%. And today I'm talking with my Aunt Brenda and she is definitely someone worth learning from. If you've been listening to the first two parts of this conversation, you know that is wall and so with that if like i said if you're new subscribe to the podcast subscribe to my Substack, to where i'm sharing all the different things that i'm currently learning from as well and yeah with that let me tell you about my aunt brenda and then we'll jump into the conversation now if you consider yourself a lifelong learner you know please subscribe to the podcast please subscribe to my Substack, to where i'm just learning from many different things and yeah, so if you're interested in learning more, please subscribe to the Substack and just all of that stuff as well. So let me tell you a little bit about my Aunt Brenda, and then we are going to jump into the conversation. So Brenda Young is the former lead pastor at Cornerstone Church, and she served there in one capacity or another since 1978 but was the lead pastor from 1996 through 2020. She is also the founder and director of Clear Blue Water Project and has a graduate uh, degree from Ohio Christian University in Asbury Theological Seminary with an honorary doctor of divinity, divinity degree from the Center for Contemporary Christianity in Bangalore, Bangalore India. She is a frequent speaker as well as well as an author. She is authored Only God, co-authored that with Dwight Mason, which is my dad, and Grace and Truth, Finding Balance in the Christian Life, Beauty on the Mountains, and Poppy's Work Glove. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. It is part three, and I think we're finally going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I have sure enjoyed being with you. Oh, me too. So uh, the first lesson that we want to talk about is nothing will compensate for failure at home. Prioritize taking good care of your core relationships, spouse, family, friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say that goes hand in hand as one of the top guides for anybody's life that's going to be successful. And it doesn't really matter what the size of your family is and, you know, whether you're married or not married, everybody has close relationships if they're healthy. 
they have close relationships and they have to really take care of them uh, and recognize that nothing else in life will satisfy if your relationships are not good. Life is only as good as your relationships are. So um, nothing will compensate for it. I've been a counselor for a lot of years and a pastor, Caleb, and I can tell you everybody I talk to is either the upside or the downside of that lesson. Uh, everybody. They're in trouble because their relationships have failed or they're enjoying life because their relationships are good. And our... Um, our, our life just shapes themselves around our relationships, and then our relationships shape our life. It's just very connected. Um, I imagine, because you're such an avid reader, that you have read uh, Eugene Peterson's book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. I actually haven't read that. Oh, my goodness. Well, you got to catch up. Yeah. You know, he is he has passed away at this point in time, but his life was... His life was incredible, and one of the things that he did was he took care of his relationships, and he's the guy who uh, paraphrased the Bible in the message, which has just blessed millions and millions of people, and his, his uh, funeral uh, service was delightful, really. It's hard to think of a funeral service being delightful, but it was because his relationships were so tight, and his son, Leif, you know, talked about him and relationships. Now, his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, is not specifically about relationships except relationship with God and, and how you have to stay it that way, say it that way. Um, but I'm going to say that that's the same thing. Honestly, following Christ with your life is along obedience in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is with maintaining your relationships, too. You have to set a goal. And you have to recognize that my life will never be okay if my relationships are not okay. So after your relationship with God, they need to be priority one every single day of your life. And, and we get into trouble because we don't want to do that long obedience. We think we can do it in segments like, okay, so right now I need to build my career, so I'm going to put my family on the back burner a little bit. Or I'm really into sports right now or it's summertime and I want to golf. And, you know, we do these things and we, we put, it's not a long obedience, it's a stuttering obedience. And during the stuttering times when you're not focused on, on your relationships and you're failing at home, you're failing in your friendships, then something happens and you recognize that, that they're in shreds. You know, you, you think you have a relationship to lean on I, I hear it all the time from people. I can't believe, you know, this tragedy happened to me and my friends didn't step up. They came to calling hours, they came, but then they disappeared. You know why they disappeared? Because you didn't focus on those relationships when you didn't need them. We tend to only focus on things when we feel the need. And <clears throat> if you're going to have healthy relationships, it's going to have to be an intentional focus and obeying that focus long you know, all throughout your life. So that's what I would say. You know, any any relationship that you treasure, uh, you need to work on. I One of my favorite quotes is is this, and I don't know who said it. As far as I know, it was it's kind of been listed as anonymous. But it's this, um, spend as much of your todays as you can with the people that you want to spend your eternal tomorrows with. And that's just a big deal. It's just a really big deal. And unfortunately, too many of us wake up to it when a friendship is broken 
So, you know, you have to be quick to apologize. You have to be, you can't keep score. You have to say, you know, I, I had someone that I thought I was a friend with and found out I had been unfriended on Facebook, which is not, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but in this relationship it was. And so I immediately contacted him to say, is there something going on I didn't know about? And here I found out, he told me, yeah, he said, I've had bitterness and anger for a few years, and I didn't actually have any direct part of, of what he was angry about, but it was important to me. And I told him, well, I apologize for mishandling your heart. I didn't even know that, I had no idea that you felt that way, and, and I'm sorry. And, you know, I don't know how well he took it. I just told him, I said, it's important to me that I know that as much as I can do, our relationship is okay. Who knows where that relationship will go, but I do feel at peace because it's not okay with me to have broken relationships that could yeah. be fixed. Yeah. Was there something in particular that like drove that home for you or was it more of like just seeing or like counseling all these people and just seeing these things that happened or was it like something that happened to you? No, it wasn't anything that happened to me. It's I think it's been seeing it my whole life. Mm -hmm. Caleb, you know that my dad, your grandfather was a pastor and it was divorce was something that was very foreign to us, you know, in our family. I, my aunts and uncles remained my aunts and uncles my whole life. And when I first began to be aware that some people didn't stay together their whole lives and some people's moms and dads lived in completely different states, I was like, what in the world? How does that happen? And so I was keyed into it very young. And I was determined it wasn't, you know, it was not a good thing. And I was going to work on that because it ripples into everything. You know, we had a, we had a divorced family. And so because of that, I did lose a, a friend. You know, I, I lost a friend and because I never got to see her again. And, and so those things, I think they just added up mm -hmm. to me. Well, the next one is if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. And then you said, I have learned this from experience and decisions about practically everything. Yes. <laughs> if you're headed in the wrong direction, own it and turn it and turn around. Yes. That's a that's a whole sermon, a whole book right there. Um, and yes, I've learned it in I've learned it in many ways um, in, in my own. And you know, uh, one thing that just happened recently. It, it's too long of a story and maybe not even appropriate to tell on this, but uh, I felt really impressed that I was supposed to do something. Mm -hmm. But it was awkward and it was going to be, it was probably gonna make somebody mad, mm -hmm. and I, but I felt like I should do it and I should do it at a certain time, you know, yep. I should do it. And, and so then I ask advice on it because, you know, you want someone to confirm that it's okay yeah. not to do something you're supposed to do. So I ask advice on it and the advice that I got uh, from two different people that I highly respect for counsel uh, was, no, you shouldn't do this now. And that was on a Saturday night. And when I woke up on, on Sunday morning, the first impression in my I had in my spirit was from the Holy Spirit. And it was a loud voice. And he was like, I told you what to do. Why did you feel like you had to get someone else's opinion on this and then take it? And I was like, 
okay. You know, <laughs> I'm, I am uh, very willing to take counsel, and I take all the counsel I can get from people whose track record I respect mm -hmm. uh, ahead of time. But, you know, it, it does come down to the fact that my decisions are my decisions and yours are yours. And so it doesn't matter if you've got a stadium full of fans clapping and saying this is the right thing to do. If inside your heart it does not feel right, you will always regret doing it. God is faithful to us in that way, and even if you're not a believer, God equips you with some really good sense, mm -hmm. and if it doesn't feel right, if there's something in you that says, I hope nobody finds out about this, or, um, you know, you just have that, that thing that wants it to be secret, or you're not, you, you really don't want to tell the world this is what I've done. If you feel those kind of nagging things, don't do it. And if you if you start out on a road, all of us have done that. I mean, you know, it's just like driving. You start on a road that feels like it's right, and you think you're headed the right direction. Only a fool will keep going the wrong direction when you recognize, no, this is not this is not right. It's like, you know, with I'm I am really terrible on directions naturally. GPS, God allowed that to be invented just for me because I need it. So I use it, but occasionally I will, you know, I'll miss it. I'll be listening to the radio and I'll miss the turn I was supposed to make. And then of course it goes around and it'll tell you how to do it. And there might be 15 steps you're going to have to take. I never take those 15 steps. I just stop and turn around because I don't see any sense in adding all of this to it to not just stop, pull into this parking lot, turn around and go, if I missed it, go back and take the turn I was supposed to. Um, it saves time, it saves energy, it saves all different kinds of things. The only thing it doesn't save is if you're, if you're the driver and somebody else is in the car with you and they don't know the way either, you can save your, um, your humiliation that you missed it if you just keep driving and act as though these were all directions, but it doesn't help you. And I, I think it's the same thing in life. As quick as you recognize that this path I'm on is either wrong or I'm uncertain about it, just hit the brakes. Just stop, you know. I would say I, I remember when I was dating Charlie and I was not certain that he was the guy for me. And it was there was nothing wrong with him. There was nothing in him that was signaling me that this was a wrong relationship. I just wasn't sure it was the right relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's a long story, but I, I did talk to my dad about it. And, uh, and dad told me, he said, you just need to be still. Don't make any rash decision here. He said, don't break up with Charlie. If you break up with Charlie, you're gonna, you're gonna hurt his heart. You're gonna make him mistrust you. And he may spend the rest of your life together if you're together wondering when you're going to let the other shoe drop again, when you're going to do that. He said, just don't speed the relationship up. Don't let the relationship get any deeper than it is right now. Just tell him, you know, you're really satisfied with where the relationship is right now and you want to keep it right there for a while. It was the best advice I could have gotten. Yeah. And, and I think that's just true in everything. It doesn't mean if you're uncertain, it doesn't mean burn all your bridges. It does mean stop, evaluate, don't get yourself any deeper in. But if when you get the, 
when you get the the signal inside your heart this doesn't feel right don't do it i've already heard one of those stories this morning about a young lady who yielded to pressure from a guy she was dating from dating with and and now she would give anything to have she said i should have obeyed my my feelings with him I should have obeyed them. I didn't. Well, you know, that's a young person mistake. When we're older in life and we're still making those mistakes where we go ahead and do something that doesn't feel quite right, whether it's a business decision, a, a relational decision, it never ends up well. It never ends up well. So just, you know, just slow down. There's nothing wrong with saying, hmm, I thought this was right, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I'm curious to hear uh maybe we i don't i don't i can't remember us talking about this directly um but what like what gave the green light for uncle charlie what gave the green light for him because you're you're moving from this uncertainty to like okay i'm gonna wait and see but then you got married and so well it was honestly it was time i'm sure that some of it was maturity on my part Mm -hmm. some of it was was feeling like um there probably was never anything wrong with him. Yeah. It was I was not in a place to make that commitment yet. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't ready for it. And so that was in the summertime. Um, it was in the summertime of the year before I went back to school uh, for my, let's see. It was the summertime before I went back to school for my junior year. Mm-hmm. And by the time the year came around for summertime for my senior year i knew i loved this man it was it was just i think it was just maturity it was it was more about me than it was about him it was it was knowing that i was ready to take this step you have recently learned that marriage is a very big step (laughs) it's very big because as we already talked it's going to be a long obedience in the same direction if you work it right and so um i i think it was i really think it was me maturing to the place that i was ready to make a lifetime commitment and close the door on everything else i think it was more me Mm -hmm. the next one is Lowering your expectations oh, is boy. not necessarily. I know. Whenever I read this, yeah. I was like, "Okay, yeah. Lower, lowering your expectations is not necessarily a bad thing. You will never love unconditionally until you do." Yes, that is so true, and that's one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, we all have we all have a drive to have things be perfect in one way or another you know we just want them to be as good as they possibly can and there's nothing wrong with that however it is kind of enlightening to realize that other brilliant people think that different things are perfect than what you think are perfect you know and so if your expectations for perfection revolve around how you think something should be it's it's going to be you know it's going to be difficult and um and, and I think that having, you know, lowering, lowering your expectations, lowering in some ways, lowering your, lowering your standards, you, you don't want to do those over your core values, mm-hmm. you know, not your core values, but certainly lower your expectations over things you can't control and people you can't control. Mm-hmm. Your expectations about people you can't control, issues you can't control, weather you can't control, all of that. I mean, we, I, I think until you consider 
lowering your expectations. You don't realize how much of your discontent depends on how high you know how high you put those. Like for for instance, um, this is a really big one, and then I'm going to tell you a small one. Yeah. Okay, so a really big one was my mom lived to be 84, my dad lived to be 96, um, my grandparents both. Both sides were very elderly. Grandpa Mason, my my grandfather, lived to be 101, mm -hmm. and it was, it just seemed a natural expectation to me that Charlie and I would grow old together. It was just an expectation, and it didn't happen. No. Suddenly, that expectation was smashed to smithereens. It was just done. Well. In you know it was a it was a matter of a matter of deciding whether life would still be good or not if I could live with the fact that my expectation was not met mm -hmm. because it again it uh, you don't have to be a religious person you don't have to be a, a Christian a Christ follower to um, to wrestle with this. For me, there was a certain amount of that, that a, a large part of it for me that came down to faith in God, just believing that, that he was with me still, even though he had broken my heart. You know, that's how it felt, that God had broken my heart, that God, God did not live up to my expectations and my faith in him. And even if, you know, even if that was true, or even if I had no faith at all, I get what I expect. And for me to expect that I had to have my husband live with me my entire lifetime in order for life to be good, if I was going to stick with that, then I was totally screwed. <laughs> you know, there was going to be no goodness in my life. So I had to decide that even if I'm, even if I'm different than the rest of my family and I don't get to have a long life with my husband, life is still going to be good. I'm not going to expect that life has to be that way anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was a big learning curve for me. Yeah. So that's a really big thing. Okay, now let's go to a small thing. It didn't seem small at the time it was happening. So I, I love traditions, and I, I love stuff. You know, I, I just love things that make, make things happy and stuff yeah. to me. So I loved making Christmas cookies. And, and I didn't want them all to be eaten on the day that they were made, for pity sakes, you know. <laughs> you, you don't want that. I wanted Christmas cookies. I wanted decorated ones. I wanted all different kinds of time ones. And then I had a friend who she made Christmas cookies unlike anyone I'd ever seen before. She would start baking in November, early in November, and she would freeze them, and she kept, she had, a, her garage was set up where it was very clean and beautiful and all of that, and she had boxes and boxes, and she, she would make, this doesn't sound like it's true, but it is true, she would make several hundred dozen cookies mm -hmm. and give them for gifts and all that kind of stuff. Well, I upped my ambition at this time on doing this. Okay, now let's add to this. I had three small children, three children. And I was a pastor. And the holidays that are religious holidays are known to be very busy times. And Charlie said to me one day, I was annoyed 
when I was baking these cookies, I was trying to find time to do it, you know, time to get all these things done and get them iced and keep the kids out of the kitchen. And, you know, he came in and he started to reach for a cookie and the kids had already been in there. And, and I just said, kind of exasperated, I said, how am I, how am I ever going to get these done if you guys are always eating all that I make? And he said to me, well, excuse me. He smiled and he said, I was under the wrong impression. I thought these cookies were to make our holidays happy. <laughs> he said, I didn't know the cookies were for something else. What were they for? And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, you know what? It would be better to buy the cookies if it's going to make me grumpy, if it's going to make, if I, if I think to be the Christmas queen and have the house look exactly right and the cookies be exactly right and all these kind of things, if I have to make a TV picture and make everybody unhappy and wanting to get the heck out of my way while I'm doing it, then it's not worth it. So I just decided, you know what? I've got a few cookies that everybody really likes and I'm going to make them for my family and I'm not going to give cookies away. I'm going to make them for the people I love the most and they can eat them anytime they want to, and when we run out, we'll buy cookies. Mm -hmm. That sounds ridiculous, but it was a monumental decision for me. Mm -hmm. And on all different levels, you know, even, even a crazy, crazy thing like, you know, your children. I remember Rachel, when she was our only child, she was a little girl. There's a lady in the church that made the most beautiful dresses for her, and they were frilly and lovely and all of that, and she would give her lace socks that had like two-inch lace to go with it. Rachel hated it all. I can say this because the lady's in heaven now. She won't hear it. <laughs> but that was not even when Rachel was young, very young, she had her own specific style. She knew what she wanted, and it may have looked ridiculous to other people, to adults, but it didn't look ridiculous to her. It was what she, what she wanted. And one Sunday morning, I had quite a fight with her about trying to get her dressed to look like the pastor's perfect little daughter on Sunday morning, and uh, we were having a fight, and she was crying. She didn't, you know, she didn't want to wear it, and I picked her up, and I set her down on the bed so hard that she bounced up from the mattress when I let go of her. It didn't hurt her, but when she bounced up and her eyes were big, and she, she looked at me, and she started crying, and I thought, my expectations for her to look the way I want her to look are totally wrong, and they're going to destroy my relationship with her. So from that day on, as long as it wasn't immodest or going to destroy her health by being too chilly, she could wear anything she wanted. And, I, and you know, there were times it was cringeworthy for sure, mm -hmm. but our relationship immediately got better you know, immediately because I was trying, and I, I, I've never been perfect at it. I'm not perfect at it today. I don't mean that. But lowering my expectations has increased my love and the satisfaction of my relationships a lot with God, what I expect of him, and people what I expect of them. So that one's been a big one for me, but I keep having to learn it. Yeah. It even makes me think of, like, reframing your expectations. Yes. It's like you're – it almost – it. Like listening to you, it sounds like you're choosing to prioritize something else. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm choosing to prioritize my relationship with Rachel as opposed to what every other person thinks about me as a mom. Yes. 
Yes. Changing my, reframing my, that's exactly right. Reframing my expectations that I'm not expecting to look like a wonderful mom. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting to have a great relationship with my daughter. Mm -hmm. That's really good, Caleb. That's really good. That's a great way to say it. Uh, the, the next one is vulnerability is bravery. Silent, strong heroes are overrated. I really agree with that. I, that is my, that's one of my things I keep reminding myself of. Now I'm a very outspoken person, uh, but it has not come easily for me on, on things that are transparent and vulnerable and all those kinds of things, because I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, you know, we learned not from mom and dad telling us this. We just learned from observation that anything we did was fodder for our parents to get criticized. You understood that as well. Whether it was something we wore that some, you know, some people may think it's fine, other people don't think it's so fine. And, you know, there's always, there was always something. And it used to be when I was young, I'm not going to say it was worse. It might have been worse because our culture has all changed and become much more, much less rigid, you know. Um, but, there were there were certainly lots of things to divide people and to be criticized over and i i watched my mom who honestly had a lot of opinions she was a perfectionist um she lived in parsonages that were not good and found a way to make them into a home. Um, but her her brothers were contractors, well-known builders in Kentucky, and they built beautiful homes, and their wives lived in beautiful homes and all of that. And uh, my mom worked very hard to never express, could we do something differently? Could we do this? You know, she just worked very hard. And in other ways, she... Um, she was restrained, properly restrained, but she did not jump to the defense of my dad when people criticized him. You know, she was, she just sat on it. You know, she just sat on it. And I, I realized when I was, when I was growing up and I was watching her, I've always been very observant, always been a people, people watcher. And I, I realized that, um, if you, if you want to avoid criticism, stuff it. Just, just do that. Just be the strong, silent type. Let people criticize you. Let them do whatever. And I, I remember when my mom and dad moved to uh, another church. And um, when the day they arrived, the basement of the parsonage, an old, old parsonage, which most of them were, the basement was flooded and things were not good. And I remember my dad walking into the basement and looking at it, and he started crying. And he said, I've moved your mother to another hole. Now, here's the interesting thing, Caleb. It was hard on my mom to be there in that house because she had to figure out how to make it lovely. But she didn't talk about it because she had learned 
that word would get out, you know, that kind of thing. And she just sat on it. And my mother, if she was here today, she, she would not be angry at me for saying this. She would have been initially. But at least from the perspective of heaven, she wouldn't be angry. I don't believe my mom did that. I don't believe she sat on everything because she was such a godly woman. I believe she did it because to ever speak up and say to the board, to the trustees, this is just one thing. It's just one little thing, you know, just an example. But to say to them, you know, you all have beautiful homes. Is there any chance that we could look at doing something different for us to live in? We're trying to raise our children. There's always something wrong with the house. Is there any chance that you would be willing to do this? This is hard, and I see that you're not living that way. What would be wrong with that? There would be nothing wrong with saying that, except she was in an environment where to do that was wrong. You, it, you just are brave and holy, and you just take life the way it is. And now that, those were, I, I watched my mom do that. And it was a great joy to her when she and dad finally were retired and they got to build their own home, yeah. you know. And it was simple, but simple and clean and workable and all of that. And it was a great, it was a great joy to her. Um, and that was just one of the, the tiny issues. All of us, it doesn't matter whether in the, you're in the pastorate or whatever, all of us have situations in life where people are unkind, where people routinely take advantage, where people uh, just routinely walk over you. And I do believe that that's one of the reasons why there is so much failure at home, going back to our first thing, is because it takes bravery to say, you know, that that really hurts my heart. Can we talk about that? I'm feeling really lonely right now. Can we talk about how we could be closer? It takes, and I, I know from being married myself and from having children, sometimes we stuff it because we're not brave enough to hear what the answer is. You know, there are, there are discussions we postpone that are relationships, and I actually have one right now in my life. There's a discussion I need to have. I know I need to have it. I just know that, it, that it, it's risky. Yeah. It's risky. And a person, you know, the person can decide to walk away from me. But the relationship will never be better and I will never have complete ease in my heart until I am brave enough to do that. You know, when um, typically we're kind of bragging on ourselves when we say, I just take it. Yeah, you know what? Martyrs, you know, get some, get some awards after their death posthumously you know they they get some awards then but they're still dead <laughs> you know yeah. it's if you're going to take a risk if you're going to be a martyr it needs to be something Jesus calls you to really mm -hmm. because the like that's what Jesus did he died a martyr's death 
but he made himself completely vulnerable all the way through, which is why, you know, he, we can follow him and trust that his way is right because he, he always told the truth. He told it with grace, but he always told the truth even when he knew even when he knew. One of his most vulnerable moments, I hadn't thought of this specifically to talk about this morning until just at this moment, but one of his most vulnerable moments that makes me admire him so much and calls me to a higher accountability is when, you know, he's been giving his best to people, healing them, giving them food, you know, doing everything, raising them from the dead. He's doing everything. And he says, one truthful thing, and they all start to leave. And he turns and he says to his disciples, his closest friends, the only people he had in the world, and he says vulnerably, are you going to leave me too? You know, most of us would have done the manipulative thing. Boy, I'm so glad I have you guys. I know you're not going to leave me. <laughs> you know, we would have tried to, you know, hustle up a, an agreement right there, but he didn't. He didn't. And he and he didn't put the brave stuff on, well, they never paid attention to me anyways. He didn't say he didn't care. I mean, you can hear, you can hear the hurt in his voice when he says that. Are, are you going to leave me too? And I, I think what bravery, what courage it takes to do that. And it makes you a person. If you don't do it with self-pity, if you'll just speak the truth, really wanting grace and truth to give you and the other people the best life possible, it is so courageous. And even if their response is not what you hoped it would be, your response to yourself is going to be real good. You're going to like who you see in the mirror. You're going to feel like, wow, it's one of the hardest things I ever did. But I'm so glad I did it. I, I just think being strong and silent mostly leaves you in a room by yourself. The next one is a Robert Frost quote. Oh, yeah, I love it. And it's, life goes on. In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. You know, there is a song that is really beautiful and almost every American Idol or voice season has somebody singing this because it has the notes and it has the melancholy lyrics and all of that, and you'll recognize it immediately. I can't live if living is without you. I can't give. I can't give anymore. It's a lie. It's a lie. If you take all the suicides that there are, and you find out how many of them have come because somebody died or they had a broken relationship. It's a much smaller figure than you think it is. It's self-disappointment. You know, it's self-disappointment. I've let myself down. God has made us to crave relationships with other people. But our most basic relationship, you know, is with ourselves. And so our identity is so important. Our identity is so important. And the people who feel like, um, you know, that life can't go on, that I can't live if living is without you or if living was, is without this job or something, they've got their identity in all the wrong places, all the wrong places. You know, like, for instance, 
with me at my point in life right now and um, everything except empty nesting, everything except that, um, I, the t- big changes in my life, I didn't choose to have them happen at the time they did. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I, I have myasthenia gravis, which is difficult, you know. Yeah. I, I have that, that happened, and so, you know, I have uh, physical challenges that I that I didn't choose, but I am determined. I will go on. I you know, probably, probably three to four out of seven days when I get up in the morning, I feel like I'd like to go back to bed, but I don't, mm-hmm. because I'm just not going to go there. I can I can do life with MG. I can do this, and I am going to do it. I didn't choose that. Um, I. I am not an active mom, as in daily mom activities anymore. Um, my husband dying, okay, I lost that title. I'm not a wife anymore. And then with with COVID uh, coming in and me with my disease not being able to be out there, I had to retire early. And so, you know, a lot of my identity to the world was tied up in being the pastor of Cornerstone Church and all those kind of things. Um, there's all different things that my identity can be. And the, the truth of the matter is, those things don't go on. Every one of them's got a terminal point. You know, being a wife, being, you know, even if you're an author, there's a day people aren't going to buy your books anymore. You know, you're going to lose your job. Anything else your identity is in, it may not go on, but life goes on. You know, life goes on. You have to have your identity in a different place. You have to know, you know what? First of all, you're a child of God. You have that, and you're in intrinsically and wonderfully worthwhile. But, but beyond that, you have to be a person that you like. You have to be a person that feels like you have a purpose in this world. And whatever leaves you, yes, you get to grieve it. You get to grieve it. And you get to be sad that that part of, that part of life is over. But if you get stuck in your grief and you can't move on from losing a job or you can't move on from going bankrupt or you can't whatever you you had a lot of pride and security in the truth is life is going to go on and people will go on without you you know if you don't move on you'll ruin your relationships if you can't if you can't find something else it'll go on there's nothing there is absolutely nothing outside of your own death there's nothing that will stop life around you from moving on it will you know it just will the the day you know charlie died in the evening the next morning we had to get up somebody had to make the bed you know there there life goes on then the next day i had to brush my teeth the next day i had to do this and and life does go on and it's it's it can either be a chore or it can be a joy it took me the longest time after charlie died to be able to have stickers in my life planner and to uh, put a, a sign up that I, you know, I had been given before. I, you know, it was a gift to me and a stone in the garden and everything that says the best is yet to be. Life is so good. It was hard for me to do those things. Mm-hmm. But I had to recognize that, yeah, life goes on and life is good. Mm-hmm. You know, life is good. And, and my choices 
determine whether I experience it, whether I, I am in charge of what the tone of my life is. It doesn't matter what happens to me. You know, right now our communities around Ohio are in great crisis, and it's just heartbreaking. The tragedy of this bus accident that, you know, has happened will be with us for every in everybody's memory. It will be around for the rest of our lives, everybody. Yeah. Um, but life does go on. We've lost some very precious people. There are horrible memories, but there are good memories yet to come. There are good memories to salvage from the past. There are people still in our lives that need love. There are opportunities to advance. There are so many things, and life will go on. And we get to decide. Every one of us gets to choose whether we will grieve our losses but keep moving forward and finding purpose. It's just our choice. It's just our choice. And I, uh, that's why I think that quote of Robert Frost is so meaningful. Of everything else you learn, life goes on for sure. Life goes on. And you don't want to be left behind. You know, this is, this is probably like looking at what you're saying from a little bit of a different angle. But it made me think of this. And I think we talked about this before of, um, you know, before I, I married Lauren and found Lauren and all of that, of like one of the one of the things that came to my mind or one of the decisions that I knew that I made or that I made whenever I was looking for somebody that I was going to marry is like I stopped looking for. And, you know, maybe you can tease this out if I'm not communicating. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I stopped looking for somebody that I didn't think I was going to have any problems with. Yes, that's and incredible. And just going like, okay, because the most important thing is not that you marry somebody who doesn't have any problems or challenges or difficulties. And everybody, everybody, has, everybody, does. everybody has those things. But you're looking for somebody who you want to work through those with. Yes. You're working through yes. somebody that you want to face life's problems with or life's challenges with exactly. because – there is there isn't a life free of pain or a life absolutely. free of problems. Absolutely. And if you if you marry someone that you've never had to push through something with, um, you know, it can be pretty shocking when you when you first do. And uh, and you do have to have that mindset. Life goes on. Hey, we don't agree about this, but life goes on. Our marriage goes on. Yeah. Life is good. Our marriage is good. We don't have to have everything be perfect. We don't have to agree on everything yeah. for our marriage to go on, for life to go on. Yeah, I 100%. Yeah. You, that's, it's not, you don't look for someone you'll have a problem-free a problem life with. You look for someone that you're willing to work through whatever life gives you with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one I think is very closely related uh, to the life goes on and it's refuse to let life harden you. Don't let anything ever be big enough to break you or bitter you. I think no one, no one will get, <laughs> daddy used to say, no one will get out of life alive. You know, no one's getting out of here alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think that uh, that's kind of funny. We know that's true. He was basically saying that safety can't be your only concern. There have to be concerns bigger than that. And I, and I also believe that life has to be bigger than getting hurt. 
you know, it has to be bigger than getting hurt. Uh, everybody's going to get hurt. You don't live very long until, until you recognize that, I mean, Jesus, even, even people who are not Christ's followers find him worthy of imitation. You know, that he, he was, uh, undoubtedly the best person who ever lived who had the worst things happen to him that ever happened to anybody he was blamed for everything um but he didn't get hard and that's that's why when he when when he tells us that the highest law the highest goal in life is to love people the way he has loved us that's a big challenge it's it's like you know you can make yourself a list of rules and all those rules are easier to keep than this one but it's where satisfaction in life and it's where all of life gets gets its its joy because only when you love people like that can you keep from getting hard you get hard when you keep score you know you you get hard when you compare when you're looking at who has it better than you do and that's an easy place to get into it's never been i don't believe it's ever been like it is today i mean you can feel pretty good about your life and then you get on facebook or you know Instagram or something and you see somebody's highlight reel, you know, and then you feel like, oh, you know, oh, all four of their kids, you know, got straight A's. Seriously, we were feeling pretty good that all of our kids passed, you know, (laughs) and everybody has different things they work with. So we compare ourselves and just the comparison will take us down. But then when when something actively happens that could have been prevented, when we're treated unkindly, when someone takes something from us that we deserve. Like I, I, have a, I have a friend who was so angry at someone who took business that my friend said, I feel like burning their house down and, and not literally burning it down, yeah. but felt like I could, I could destroy that person's business. I could do that. That's a natural reaction if you know if we don't work on ourselves if we don't you know say do i is that really the person i want to be is that really who i want to be and what happens if you do that once you once you start to get hard hardening is a a pretty easy process yeah it it just you know you just get harder and harder I mean, let's take a chocolate no-bake cookie. <laughs> when they're first ready to put it, get put out, you know, when, when you've mixed them up and you're, you're ready to stir them out, they're goopy and, you know, they drip all over the place. But, you know, in 20 minutes, they're a real nice texture. But if you don't, you know, cover them up, of course, you know, it is if they last long enough. Those are one of the cookies I do bake at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, if you don't eat them all up quick, if you don't, if you don't work at it pretty hard, those things will get hard as a rock on you. Yeah. They'll, the, the longer that, that you have them, the harder they'll get, and the, it's just not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's a very homely illustration, but our hearts do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when something first happens, if you take care of it right away, it's pretty moldable, and you can do that. Mm-hmm. But it'll get... If you just let it set, it's going to get harder and harder and harder, and eventually, eventually there's going to be a problem. Yeah. And and I think that any experience that you have in life, 
that you can feel the emotions creep up that aren't good towards a person when that name comes up or an experience comes up and you feel that anger, you feel that touch of bitterness, it's, it's a sign you, you need to handle this now. Life is just not worth it. You can't let any, bitter people are ugly people and they destroy their own satisfaction. And so, you know, for, for me, I try really hard to, to keep it so that there's not a person on the planet. And I've had lots of hurts. I've had, I've had lots of hurts. I'll just leave it there. I've had lots of hurts. But I can honestly tell you there's not a person on the planet that would make me feel like going down a different aisle at Walmart or avoiding them um, on my behalf. I'm not going to feel awkward because I have done everything I can do to have that relationship be okay and to release the bitterness. I don't have anyone that I feel that way towards. Now, I'm sure there's people that feel that way towards me, but I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And so I just, it's not worth it. Bitterness is awful. It's, it's energy depleting. It will take you, it will take you a, away. And, of course, some people have many more deeper reasons than I have to allow themselves to be bitter, but it won't help them either. Yeah. So. Yeah. The next one is be kind and express love every chance you get. Every chance you get. Every chance you get. You know, that thing I said earlier um, that I knew I was supposed to do it, but I got advice not to, and I backed up from it. Mm-hmm. Within 36 hours of that thing I was supposed to do, the person I was supposed to express my concern and love for was dead. Mm-hmm. God knew that was going to happen. God knew that. I can't even tell you it has changed my life for the rest of my life. I will always be so grateful mm-hmm. that I did that. And, you know, we never know. We never know. We, and it's not just death. It's We never know when our kindness and our love and our gratitude will change somebody. Mm-hmm. I had a, oh, this week on, on uh, Facebook Messenger, I got a letter from a, a young woman, a young mother, uh, who said she was going through a trunk of uh, old letters that had been in her family, and she found a letter from Charlie in there that she said she realizes as she read the letter that it changed the course of her life because of a decision that was made for her. Because of that, it was a very loving decision, very loving letter, but it was he was urging them towards a hard decision. Um, was very loving, and that um, that was something that he could have easily overlooked, but he didn't. He didn't, and that's where it is for. Um, I think for all of us, there are things our words, our words, and our actions have such powerful impact. I'm sure that you and I could talk for a couple of hours, just mentioning random things that people said or did to us that expressed love or concern. Oh, yeah. And we can say, yep, and, and I remember that to this day. It changed this. It changed that. So, yeah, it's the expressing love 
does not cost us very much. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little inconvenience, maybe, you know, um, it may cost a little bit, but not very much, but it's the best investment we can make. You know, that makes me think of, and I, and I wanted to pull it up because I wanted to make sure that I quote it accurately, but it makes me think of, and you might remember this too, this quote from Andy Stanley. This is probably from like 10 years ago or so. And he said, actions don't merely speak louder than words. Sometimes they echo into future generations. And just what you were saying, it made me think about that. Like, and again, you know, feel free to speak to this as much, as much as you want, but it just makes me think like, you didn't know whenever you wrote that letter that literally, you know, decade, like it's, it's been at least a decade, maybe more than that. Right. Right. Literally. It's been 30, 30 years, 30 years Mm -hmm. in that act of love 30 years ago, 30 years ago to, you know, is still having repercussions today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can think of it in, in my own life, you know, people who, people who believed in me, there was a a man named Clayton Baird, who was very, very quiet. He was my Sunday school teacher uh, when I was in middle school, junior high, you know, we called it then. Um, I can, I can remember there, my, there were many kind things that he did. He was just very quiet. He was not a, I think he was an insurance salesman. He was very quiet. You know, uh, he wasn't someone that you would uh, point out as, as okay, this is this really popular. He was very, very well liked. You know, it was not that he wasn't, but he was not. If you came to our church, he would not be the first person you would notice. But he was so kind and so, he was so loving, loving and kind. And I remember many, many different things that he said to, that he said to me, but he said something not to me about me, but he said something so loving about my father that it makes me emotional now just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. We had gone to a, uh, a performance of the Messiah, his daughter and Jeannie and I, and none of us were able to drive yet. And it was on an evening that our church had a, um, had a business meeting. And the church was going through some really hard stuff at that time. There, there were some big divisions over ridiculous stuff, but big divisions. And, you know, my dad had been sent there as pastor to try to be a healer to a group of people that were very, very divided. And um, so he picked us up, and he asked us how things went. And, and, you know, he wanted to know about that, and he talked to us as he drove us home. When we got close to home, he pulled over, and he turned around in the seat, and he looked at us. We were sitting in the back seat together, and he said, your dad's a wonderful man. We said, yes. You know, it's like, wonder what he's saying that for. He said, your dad's a wonderful man. And he said, be very kind to him this evening. He's had a hard night. I didn't even know what that meant, but it was so amazing to me that another fully grown man, because I was used to seeing most men just, you know, being tough and everything, but he said, your dad's a wonderful man. Be very kind to him tonight. He's had a hard night. Mm -hmm. And when, when we went in the house, you know, mom and dad were both very somber you know it had been a hard evening and and dad had been verbally crucified and um i was comforted 
because one of the best men I knew was still standing up for my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'll be doggone, I'm going to be that person. I will be the person who stands up for the underdog. I will be the one who says, this is a really wonderful person. I will do that. And those those expressions, um, there's so many. There's so many. My life, I am who I am, less because of um, formal schooling than I am. I, I Less because of that than I am because of the random things that God wove together in my life to let me know that loving others is the grandest thing you will ever do. Yeah. Just just loving them. And it, it's better than any sermon you'll ever preach. It's like Andy said, it will echo into generations and even into eternity. It will. Because it, it, it's so profoundly wonderful. I think it might be be, that's why Jesus called himself the Word. Words are so powerful. And he's the Word that expresses everything. Mm-hmm. And our words, our words are so powerful. They're just so powerful. And, and so I, your, our words and actions, yes, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it to build or destroy. They'll do, your, your words, as they say, never do nothing. Yeah. They always do something. Your words either build or destroy all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the last one is filter everything through Jesus. Yes. Everything. I believe it. I, you know, people say, um, they they ask that question, and if you look up icebreakers, you see the question all the time. If you had to be on um, a... Uh, island, deserted island by yourself, what one book would you want to take with you? I know uh, one of the common things is people will say the Bible. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't take the Bible, although I love the Bible. I would take the four Gospels, or even if I could only get a little bit, I'd just take one of them, mm-hmm. and I would take any of them because the rest of the Bible makes no sense if it is not for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is his life, his message, his actions, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, the, the way he has shown us to live, it makes a difference in everything. And so I just think the rest of the Bible doesn't make sense. Paul doesn't make sense without Jesus. The Old Testament clearly makes no sense if it didn't lead to Jesus. We don't, you know, and when, when when you think you have found a law in the Bible, and people do it all the time, when you think you've found a law in the Old Testament that makes it okay for you to treat people in a way that Jesus would not have treated him, that's not a law we're supposed to follow. Everything gets filtered through Jesus. Everything gets filtered through him. And, it, and it's why, you know, when you, have, when, you, when you know Jesus and 
you look at his life and his words as your example for life, you don't need the Ten Commandments because you, you don't need to remember them because just knowing Jesus, just trying to love like him, you're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to do those things because that's not Jesus. Everything is filtered through Jesus. And so, you know, when, when you, you say, what would Jesus do? Um, that's, that can be, that can be a little bit manipulative if we say it to somebody else. But in our own hearts, it's, it's how would he think? What does he think? Well, the bottom line is he told me it's, it's love. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that. What would Jesus do? Well, he would love. You don't need to think it too hard. You can manipulate and do all, all different kinds of things. He would do the most loving thing. He would do the most redemptive thing because he was all about that. And so I, I think, you know, um, with me, when I'm living my best life, which isn't that a funny phrase that people say? Yeah. You know, they'll say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I'm living my best life. I'm like, really? This is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> it's like crazy. It's crazy. If we're actually, if I'm actually living my best life, my most productive, my most, um, my most beneficial to the world, my most satisfying for me, when I'm living my best life, I'm just loving like Jesus. And I'm just thinking about, okay, so this letter that I'm about to write, is this the way Jesus would say it? This, you know, this point I'm trying to make, is it a point Jesus would try to make or would he just drop it? You know, uh, filter everything through Jesus. That That is my mantra for my life. Filter it all through Jesus. If Jesus didn't talk about it, you know, if it was not something, when we go back to laws, you know, that people want to bring up and all that kind of stuff, just, I, I just, it, did Jesus talk about it? If Jesus didn't talk about it, and I'm not interested in arguing about it. Mm-hmm. If he didn't talk about it, I'm not, go- I'm not going to do that. What I do know he talked about is he talked about loving people the way he has loved me. And that's where I'm going with it. And so for my life and, and for my future and for my choices and from what I've learned increasingly through my life, and I would say especially the last 15 years of my life, over and over and over. It's just been Jesus. Mm-hmm. If if it's important to him, I want it to be important to me. Mm-hmm. And so that gives me lots of room. It doesn't make me religious. It makes me very full of life yeah. because, you know, I, I get to have hobbies. I get to do things because Jesus, you know, Jesus is about that. He's about us having an abundant life. He's about that. But but then he's also about me not allowing my hobbies to take so much space that I don't love other people the way he would. So it's just, yeah. you know, it just all comes back around. It's like the best thing I know. Yeah. If you want, you know, we're always looking for life hacks to make life better. The life hack I think that works is filter everything through Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's just it. Is um, 
Is there anything that you've learned about Jesus recently that stands out? Wow. That's a great question. That's a really great question. I think that he was irrepressibly hopeful. Irrepressibly hopeful. Um, you know, he he knew it's kind of it's because he knew the end of the story he he did not relish the pain and everything that he was going to go through mm -hmm. but he knew that his father was going to be pleased with him he knew that his mission was going to be fulfilled he knew that nothing he could get hit obstacles he could experience pain he could experience that but in the end his mission was going to be fulfilled so he was irrepressibly hopeful and that is probably the thing as I'm at the stage of life I am right now because, you know, I'm 71. I, I, have, um, I have wishes and desires. I'm, they're not expectations anymore. I don't expect them anymore. But I do have wishes and desires. I, I feel like I'm pretty important to my family. I feel like I am. And so I would like to live as long a life as I can to pray for, to influence, to help my grandchildren, my nieces and nephews and everything. I'd like to do that and, and make as big an impact on the world as I can. I, I would like to do that as long as I can do it, as long as I can do it being healthy and not feeling like I'm a burden to people. I don't ever, ever want to do that. But I recognize I may not get the choice in that. You know, it may, it may happen in a way that I, that I don't want to. But this is, this is the thing that I'm, do you ever get those nights, Caleb, when you don't know why? It might not have been anything that you saw or anything, but you just get a troubling thought. As you're wanting to go to sleep, a thought will pop into your head, and you just kind of start to chase that thought, and you have a hard time turning it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And so I have those nights where, where I think, wow, I may not get a lot of things done that I wanted to get done. Like, I may not get my whole basement cleaned. <laughs> I have books like, you know, I've had some obstacles in the book about dad that I think will be very helpful for people. And I think, I, wa I want to get that done right away. I may not get that book done. I want it done right away. There's so many things I think I may not get done. But then, then this is what Jesus teaches me. But my mission will be accomplished. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm irrepressibly hopeful about that. And I've learned that from Jesus, that that nothing, nothing can take away the perfect mission that Christ has for me as long as I am, as long as I am being like Jesus, you know, because I think I'm necessary in some areas where I'm not. And he knows I'm necessary in some places I don't realize I am. And so, you know, it could be that me lingering in poor health might be something he knows that is needed. Mm -hmm. um, it may be that, you know, I'll, I'll go to heaven quicker than I thought. It may be the book may never get written. It may be all, all those kinds of things. But the thing that turns my head off from those directions is irrepressible hope mm -hmm. because as long as I follow Jesus, like, and and this is this goes back to 
Man, I'm telling you, Caleb, I can't recommend enough that people read the Gospels over and over and over and over because there is so much incredible life in there and how to live life. There's so much in there that it comes back to you out of everything. And and this is one of the things that uh, has has helped me so much. As I've read, you know, several of the Gospels have Jesus' uh, temptation in the wilderness. They tell about that there. And um, in, in these last years, it's become very meaningful to me, especially, especially the one where Satan told him, he said, you know, um, uh, he took him to the high mountain and I have, and you have too been at that mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and where he looked over the kingdoms of the world, looked over Jerusalem and the sparkling towers and, you know, um, all of the things that would represent the kingdoms of the world. And he saw that. And he said, Satan said, I'll give you all of these if you'll just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Well, he wasn't talking about those buildings. He was talking about the people. And he knew that Jesus' greatest desire, the whole reason he was here, was that the kingdoms of the world would bow down to him and would become, he would become their king. And Satan, his major obstacle in making that happen, is saying, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of those. You won't have to go to the cross. I will give you their hearts. I will do that. And it was a shortcut to what needed to be done, and it was going to be inferior. It was going to be inferior. But in the moment, I can't imagine the power of that temptation because... It would just fix everything. And for me, when I think about different things that I want to happen, I come up, I'm not saying Satan gives them to me, but my own brain will come up with shortcuts, with ways to make something happen and um, and get one of my desires to get fulfilled, mm-hmm. you know. And it seems like it would be okay to do that because I'm not going to be doing anything awful to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to be letting God do his thing on it. And that example from Jesus has come back to me so many times because I will come up, you know, I'll think about something and I'll think, well, I could do this. And then that thing we've already talked about, eh, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. And I, and I recognize that Jesus had exactly the same temptations I do, exactly the same. They're just, you know, they were, um, they looked a little different, but at the root of them, they're the same things, shortcutting the right path and and doing those kind of things. So, you know, uh, learning from Jesus in that moment, his irrepressible hope was that his mission that, that the Father gave him to do, if he would keep obedient, if he would keep focused, that, you know, if Peter failed, if, you know, if things didn't go right, if, you know, people misunderstood him or whatever, his mission was going to be fulfilled, it would be okay. And he was, so he was always, he was always hopeful. He was just always hopeful. And, um, you know, when they tried to kill him, when they, and, and he, he never was worried about that. He didn't try to hide himself from people. He just, he did what he needed to do, and he knew that, that whenever 
whenever God when, was being obeyed, whenever his father was being obeyed, that things were going to go right. And so that is, I, I would say at this stage of my life, that's the, the thing that Jesus, I wouldn't say has completely taught it to me. I'm sure I've got more to learn. But that's the thing that I would say is most profound to me now, that I, I'm not, I don't believe that God directs evil, that he brings evil into your life like the bus crash. He didn't do that, but he didn't stop it. And so he is going to he is going to do things that make life infinitely worthwhile for all the people involved in it. And so with me, I don't believe there might be something happen to me that would be evil, but I don't believe that there will be anything that ever happens to me that short circuits God's plan for me. Mm-hmm. Because I just believe he's committed to that more than I am. And so I see that in Jesus, that Jesus didn't die until the right time. And his death accomplished everything that he hoped it would. And I believe that my life will do that, too. Well, I know that across these three episodes, we've 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 talked a lot. We've talked for several hours. Is there anything just top of mind that you want to make sure that we talk about or cover before we wrap up? The only thing I would like to say, I think, really, is that every 71-year-old person needs a Caleb in their life. <laughs> I'm serious. I really, I really believe that. I believe that there is nothing better for us than cross-generational friendships that are really deep. And it's part of what makes life go on and go on really, really well. I feel like you and other young friends that I have in my life keep me alive. They keep me uh, concentrating forward. You know, I can't be around somebody like you and and get stuck and bitter. I really can't. And I I would say that that would be probably an overall thing I would want to say to everybody. Find yourself a Caleb. If you're a Caleb, find yourself a Brenda. Yeah. You know, because it it is there's nothing like it. It's remarkable. Well, your friendship means so much to me. I'm so glad that we were able to do me this. Me too. And me too. I know, you know, you have writings and books and just all of that stuff. Where's the best place for people to go to keep up with you and get or just follow any of your work? Well, I am uh, I'm currently I have books on Amazon. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, Brenda Mason Young on Facebook. That's a real good uh way to do that. I've reluctantly decided to be on Patreon. And um, uh, so I'm going to be doing that. They could look for me there. Um, uh, I'm not, you know, I was so consumed with being a pastor Mm -hmm. that the, the official ways to get in touch with me never really occurred to me because I, I wanted to direct everybody to the church. That's what I did. Um, your, your father, uh, Dwight Mason said something to me, um, years back now. It was, it was, um, probably 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago. I was driving back from a conference and he had been at a prayer retreat and he called me on the phone and he laughed and he said, I have something to tell you. And I said, what's that? And he said, your name is Sarah. And I said, my name is Sarah. And he said, yeah. He said, I went to a prayer retreat, and I thought God was going to give me something big for me, and instead he gave me something big for you. 
he said that your name is going to be Sarah because you're going to be more fruitful in this season of your life, your latter season, than you've been at any other time. Well, I had to pull over because I could hardly drive. It overwhelmed me. It felt so big it couldn't possibly be true. Mm-hmm. And when I say so big, it's it's like I was thinking of, you know, retirement's kind of the end, and it was 10 years before that, but I was, you know, coming into a stage where I'd be thinking about what was going to happen and everything. And, um, and yet I see there are more and more doors opening in front of me um, that my recent life experiences have given me opportunity with people in loss and all of that kind of stuff. So I know that God is telling me that um, I'll determine when you're done and it's not yet. And so I am um, cautiously, because I don't really know what I'm doing, I'm relying on guys like you and my son, different people to tell me what to do, but I am going to be, and I'll tell about it on Facebook and different places, but I am going to be opening up some new ways for ministry uh, in, the, in 2024. Well, I just want to say I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. So grateful for our time together. And I just, and I just want to say, thank you know. I tell, I say this on every single episode because I truly mean it, and I really mean it for you. Thank you for doing the work and for choosing to share with us. Thank you so much. It's meant the world. That is the end of this uh, round of episodes with my aunt Brenda. I absolutely love her so much. She has so much wisdom and I'm I'm really glad that this conversation was able to happen. It took a took a long time and we made it work and I think it was all worth it in the end as well. So yeah, I think that's all that I have for today. You know, you can listen to my thoughts uh, just by re-listening to the episodes, or you've already listened. You've already listened to a lot of my thoughts um, on on what she said, and I highly value her her perspective as well. So, with that, I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you to Aunt Brenda for being on the podcast as well, and just for her wonderful insight and the great conversation. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.